Welcome to episode 212 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast, recorded, well, throughout March and part of April 2014. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. This week's episode of the Fredcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll find a fantastic selection of complete bikes, components, accessories, apparel, nutrition, and more, all at phenomenal prices with unparalleled customer service. When you need anything for cycling, simply go to JensenUSA.com slash TheFredCast. And by Fazari Performance Bicycles, where they design and build high-performance road and mountain bikes using the most advanced design techniques, materials, and components and they sell it all manufacturer direct for huge savings and provide you with a custom fit to ensure comfort, performance, and satisfaction. Go to fezari.com, that's F-E-Z-Z-A-R-I.com to learn more. And now also buy lynda.com, that's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash Fredcast. Lynda.com will help anyone learn software, creative, and business skills to achieve personal and professional goals with their incredible library of classes and tutorials on a wide variety of subjects. Get a seven-day free trial simply by going to lynda.com slash Fredcast. Now, sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike hammer just a little bit harder because here comes the Fredcast. Hello, Freds. Welcome back to another episode of the Fredcast. Great to be back here with you. Hey, great to be back on my bike. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But first, you know what I'm about to do? I've got to thank, well, my longtime amazing sponsor, Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast. I've told you Jensen USA is the place where they've got an amazing selection of products at great prices with unparalleled customer service. And right now, hurry, before the end of April, because they are having Jensen USA's $4 million bicycle clearance. You can get some amazing deals on complete bicycles just by going to jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast. And I mean, we're talking 40, 50, 60% or more off complete bikes out of their incredible selection of products. You've got to check this out. Go to jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast or just click on the link on the right-hand side of the page there at thefredcast.com and go straight to Jensen USA. Hey, while you're there, click on the Fredcast Picks of the Month as well. That's where I pick items out of Jensen's stock that I think that you'll really enjoy. Once again, it's jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast. We thank them so much for their support of the Fredcast, and we thank you for supporting Jensen USA. Hey, before we get to the news, this is what I'm going to call my partly personal section of the Fredcast. A couple of things I wanted to talk about. First, I'm back on my bike. Yay! Uh, So you all know that I've had a couple of bad injuries and surgeries over the last, oh my goodness, nine months. Uh, The latest was that really severe injury to my ankle that ended up with lots of hardware in my leg. Uh, But I am back on my bike, not just on the trainer, but I've had several 
outdoor rides. I was in Southern California last weekend, had some spectacular rides along the Pacific coast. That was fantastic. And of course, this weekend here in Utah, it's just been gorgeous. Uh, in the mid-60s here in Park City, and Mrs. Fred Cast and I have gotten back out on our bikes in the gorgeous Wasatch back and just been having a great time. Thank you so much, all of you, for your support and your encouragement, and your emails and your tweets. It's been fantastic. It's great to be back out on the roads. The other thing I've got to tell you about, and this is a really exciting, the Team Fredcast kit is finally for sale. I have uh, jerseys, shorts, and some really cool sock guy socks, the SGX socks, which are really incredible. Really easy to find. Simply go to the fredcast.com slash store. That's the fredcast.com slash store and check it out. Now, the thing is I've had this up on the website for, wow, almost a month and we've been having pre-sale pricing. Now that pre-sale pricing is set to end any day. So now is the time to go check it out. I've got bib shorts, regular shorts, uh, Team Fredcast normal jerseys, Team Fredcast sleeveless jerseys, uh, and of course, those great Sock Guy SGX socks. Uh, ever since my ankle injury, that's all I've been wearing are Sock Guy SGX socks. They've got the right amount of compression. They're really comfortable and they don't uh, irritate uh, my incision on my ankle. But for cycling, man, that's all I've been wearing as well. But please go check it out now because the pre-sale pricing is set to end almost any day. It's at www.thefredcast.com slash store. I apologize for the long intro to this week's show, but I wanted to tell you those things. And please go check it out, fredcast.com slash store. And again, thanks so much for your support. It's great to be back out on the road. I can't wait to be riding out there and seeing you all at Group Rides coming up in the next few weeks and months. Thanks for your support. All right, lots of news to get to, so let's get right to it. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the banes of my existence when I'm out there on the road is the venerable and awful pothole. I mean, these things can literally feel like they're going to swallow you up alive. Well, listen, in August of 2011, Dulcie Bauer was riding her bike in the city of Oakland, California, in uh, the Northern California Bay Area, when she hit a pothole on Mountain Boulevard between the on-ramp to Highway 13 and Ascot Drive. When she hit the pothole, she flew over her handlebars. This has happened to you before, right? She landed headfirst on the pavement 21 feet away. Her injuries were so bad, despite the fact that she was wearing her helmet. Her injuries were so bad to both, no, not both, to her head, her face, her teeth, her jaw. She was knocked unconscious and the doctors put her into a medically induced coma for four days, resulting in not one, not two, but seven operations, including uh, the doctors having put titanium plates in her mouth. Well, she sued the city of Oakland. Now, I can already hear some of you saying, oh, wait a minute. Come on, it's a pothole. Well, listen, apparently cyclists in the Oakland area had been complaining about this pothole as early as 2007. Remember, this took place in 2011. As a result of the fact that Oakland pretty much ignored those, those complaints, left the pothole unrepaired, and Dulcie had this accident, the city of Oakland was sued, and according to the lawsuit, they were required to pay $3 million to Bauer and to her attorney 
and the remaining $250,000 will have to be paid to the city's insurance carrier. Now, according to Bauer's attorney, Carter Zinn, quote, we know that allocating such funds in a city with many worthy budgetary priorities is challenging. However, we feel the settlement was fair given her injuries, the dangerous state of the road at the time of the accident, and the fact that dozens of citizens had complained about how dangerous the condition was for years before this accident occurred. Kind of makes you feel like a little bit of victory for cyclists now and again when something like this happens. Uh, I hope, I mean, obviously she's she's probably still dealing with uh, a large number of injuries and the results of this accident, but it's nice to hear that, you know, every once in a while, cyclists do get a victory in cases like this. Well, speaking of cities, here's a story that comes to us from our friend Fritz over at Cyclicious. Uh, he notes that the Los Angeles Department of Transportation, the LADOT, recently issued uh, a new advertisement uh, and I'm assuming that this includes uh, both uh, print advertisements as well as billboards uh, with the statement, don't block the bike lane. Now, in the photo uh, uh, that Fritz had on the Cyclicious website, uh, he notes uh, the presence of a garbage bin in the bike lane, blocking the bike lane. Now, a lot of cities like Los Angeles and others have uh, uh, requested, because of the, the newer uh, refuse vehicles that they're using, instead of using individual trash cans uh, that you would go and buy at Home Depot or Lowe's or something like that, or your local DIY store, uh, the cities are actually providing these huge bins on wheels uh, that people use. And so what ends up happening in places like Los Angeles is people wheel these out into the streets so that the garbage vehicles can come by and pick them up. And unfortunately, they end up blocking the bike lane. Now, according to California Vehicle Code Section 21211, no person may stop, stand, sit, or loiter upon any Class 1 bikeway, as defined in Subdivision A of Section 890.4 of the Streets and Highways Code, blah, blah, blah. No person may place or park any bicycle, vehicle, or any other object upon any bikeway or bicycle path or trail, etc., etc. Bottom line, don't block the bikeway. So it's nice to hear that the LADOT had this uh, public service announcement out for the public. As a matter of fact, the first person to tweet a photo uh, of the sign uh, in the wild uh, would get a free pair of LADOT bike program socks, according to Fritz. Now, that program, of course, has already been, uh, uh, those socks have already been claimed. But interestingly enough, Last weekend, I think it was, actually it was last Monday, as I was riding uh, in the bike lane in the Marina Del Rey area of Los Angeles, somebody was blocking the bike lane. And now I'm kind of bummed that I didn't take a picture. I threatened, I told Mrs. Fredcast I was going to take a picture, but I was a little worried that I might have some trouble because who was blocking the, bi the bike lane? Yeah, Los Angeles County Deputy Sheriff with their car, uh, just doing some paperwork on their mobile data terminal in their car. Yeah, they were blocking the bike lane. So LADOT, apparently, I just saved you a pair of socks. Now, it's not often that the United States Supreme Court rules on issues of consequence to cycling, but that's exactly what happened on March the 10th when the United States Supreme Court issued a ruling in the case of Marvin M. Brandt Revocable Trust et al., versus the United States. Now, what this case was about, uh, uh, Mr. Brandt is a landowner in Wyoming who said that he didn't want the United States government to allow the conversion 
of a former rail line that runs through his property, the conversion of that rail line from a rail line to a rail trail. Uh, in this case, in the ruling uh, by the Supreme Court, it was decided on an eight to one ruling that Mr. Brandt would win the case. In other words, saying that the amount of former rail line that runs through his Wyoming property could not be used by the government or by anyone else to convert to a rail trail. Now, initially, this sounded like really dire news for the rails to trails effort throughout the United States, taking former rail lines and turning them into multi-use trails for hiking, cycling, etc. Now, this whole case, however, is actually much narrower than it originally appeared. Here's how this works. There was an act in 1875 called the Railroad Right of Way Act, and it gave the government control of land specifically to be used for railroads. In some cases, apparently some narrow cases, once the rails are abandoned, the land would revert to the owner, uh, the original owner of the land. Now, according to Kevin Mills, and this is in Bicycle Retailer, according to Kevin Mills, the senior vice president of policy and programs for the Rails to Trails Conservancy, he says that the scope and the context of this real ruling are actually quite narrow. He says, quote, this only affects federally granted rights of ways acquired under the 1875 Act, and the government can still decide that the trail is an important asset and use eminent domain to keep the property. Continuing, he said, we're dealing with a narrowly prescribed set of circumstances. If you have an existing rail trail on federally granted right-of-way land acquired under the 1875 Act, not rail banked, and for which the government would not pay just compensation, then the adjacent landowner could take back a piece of that land. Now, according to Bicycle Retailer, of the 83 acres that are owned by the Brandt family, only about 10 acres were at stake in the case. Now, what this does not affect, and this is really important, it does not affect any rail corridors that were acquired before the 1875 Act. Any corridors that were acquired by a railroad from a private landowner and any trails um, that are currently out there if the trail manager owns the land adjacent to the rail corridor or if the trail manager owns full title to, to the corridor or if the rail corridor falls within the original 13 colonies. The bottom line here is that this is a very narrow decision, as many Supreme Court decisions are, and hopefully this will not mean uh, uh, the, the reversion of many of these rail trails back to private owners. According to the Rails tra to Trails to Conservancy, it sounds like that will not happen. By the way, they have several web pages uh, that they've set up specifically to deal with this issue and provide people like us with information. I will provide links in the show notes. So if you are concerned about the rail trail in your area, hopefully this will allay your concerns. 
By the way, I was just thinking about something as I was going back over and listening to what I just recorded for this story. I mentioned something called rail banking, and you might have gone, huh? What the heck is that? Here's the deal. Rail banking is a process by the United States government that says, yes, right now we're going to remove the rails from uh, this line. However, we will quote unquote rail bank it, meaning that we're going to preserve it for the possibility of future railway service. In other words, we might convert, well, right now we're going to convert it to multi-use trails. In the future, we might want to use this for future railroad service, and therefore we are rail banking it. And that's what I was talking about when I mentioned rail banking before. I just wanted to clear that up because as I went back and listened to it, it was entirely unclear. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever planned a mass bicycle event like a charity ride uh, or a century or something like that. I've worked on a couple of them, and I know that the logistics involved in putting together these events can be massive. And in some cases, you need to actually uh, not only work with law enforcement uh, and the local cities and counties through which the ride travels, but in some cases, you need to hire a special event management company just to handle all of the logistics. Well, it appears that in at least one county in Wisconsin, the local municipality was upset enough about cycling events going by that they passed an ordinance that will last for about a year to try to force uh, cycling event organizers to play by stricter rules in order to ensure that the local residents uh, feel that all the I's have been dotted and the T's have been crossed. Now, this is called the Iowa County Highway Access Special Events Ordinance. Now, don't be confused by that. This is in the state of Wisconsin, in the county of Iowa, which is west of uh, Madison, Wisconsin. The purpose of the ordinance, uh, according to its backers, is to regulate organized bike events because local residents have said that, that their property has been mistreated uh, the local law enforcement have said that they've been mistreated, uh, and in many cases, the, the residents feel that when mass bike events go by, they can't get in and out of their driveways. In some cases, their fields uh, have been have been damaged. Uh, of course, there's always the issue of uh, where and when cyclists decide to relieve themselves, what happens to all those gel and energy bar wrappers, etc. And so as a result, they've passed this ordinance. Now, the ordinance will apply to events of 100 or more cyclists. And the organizers simply have to meet certain criteria before they get a permit approved. And in the application, they have to address the duration of the event, parking and access for cyclists, sanitary facilities, rest stations, refuse removal, severe weather notification, notification of the highway department, identification of participants, security barricades, signage, traffic control, etc. Now, according to uh, one local resident, Jerry Schlimmigen, quote, they go five to six deep and they're putting you bumper to bumper sometimes. Hundreds of them go by here. You can hardly get out of your driveway. He said that he and his wife sometimes say that, that during races, they would just prefer that bicyclists would get off the streets and stay on trails. Now, the ordinance has a sunset clause. In other words, it will only last a particular period of time, and that is only until March 1 of 2015, at which time the ordinance 
disappears. It goes away. But it gives the local community time to see whether or not these new rules have had a positive effect, what changes need to be made, uh, and whether or not they want to impose a new ordinance going forward. The bottom line here is something that we've talked about here on the Fredcast before. When you are participating in a mass event, you've got to remember that there's going to be plenty of people in the local community who simply had no idea that we were coming by, who had no, who have no idea that we're in a mass event. They're wondering why we're riding five, six, eight across, why we're taking up the roads, why we're leaving our refuse and our and and why we're, you know, relieving ourselves. And so it pays to be, as I keep saying, good cycling citizens. Whether you're out there on your own, riding with your buddies, or whether you're in a mass event, you've got to remember that a lot of these local communities simply, quite frankly, they don't want us there because of the way that cyclists have acted before. I've seen this happen in several events that I've helped put together. And sometimes, while ordinances like this sound like they're onerous, and that they're trying to keep us off their roads. Sometimes these ordinances are a reaction to the way that we've acted, and they remind us of the responsibilities that we have uh, to be, as I said, good cycling citizens. So I'll be curious to see how this uh, shakes out in Wisconsin. If you've been affected by it, if you've uh, participated in any events that are affected by it, give us a call. Let us know. I'd love to put your voice on the show and let people know your reaction um, about this ordinance in Iowa County, Wisconsin. Meanwhile, in the state of Colorado, some great news for members of the AAA, the Automobile Club of Colorado, because starting on May 1st, 2014, AAA's Roadside Assistance Program, you know, where you've got a problem with your car and the tow truck shows up to help you out as part of your membership of the Auto Club, AAA's Roadside Assistance Program in the state of Colorado is going to include roadside assistance for bicycles. That means the 575,000 members of AAA in Colorado will now, should they have a problem with their bike, be able to get transportation service if their bicycle is disabled or inoperable. And this all comes with no increase in the AAA membership dues. The service applies to all bikes, and tandems, including rental bikes and bike trailers, as long as service can be safely delivered using normal servicing equipment. According to Tony DeNovalis, the CEO and president of AAA Colorado, quote, offering bicycle service is another great benefit for our AAA Colorado members, and we're proud to be one of the first AAA clubs in the United States to do so. Riding bicycles is becoming more popular as Coloradoans I think I'm saying that right, are concerned about fitness, the economy, and the environment. Whether our members are riding for fun or commuting to work, we'll be there to offer assistance if their bicycle breaks down. Now, according to the press release that I got last week about this, other AAA clubs may offer similar services in the future, but for now, bicycle roadside assistance does not extend to all other states, and reimbursement is not available for service provided outside of Colorado. A service vehicle will meet you at a trailhead or on a publicly traveled road and transport you and your bike to the location of your choice. Service vehicles are not equipped to repair a member's bicycle or change a flat 
tire. But still, that's kind of cool. No more calling your wife or girlfriend or husband or, or whoever you normally call when you break down and you simply don't have the tools. Take out your AAA card, open up your cell phone, call AAA, and a tow truck will take you where you want to go. That's kind of cool. I like it. Well, we spoke earlier in the show about the need for cyclists to be good cycling citizens and for citizens who are non-cyclists who are upset about cycling events coming through their communities. And we talked about that new law in Iowa County, Wisconsin. Well, here is what happens when cyclists and residents of a community don't get along. This happened in the UK last week during a sportive, an event uh, called the Wiggle New Forest Sportive. Now, in this event... Uh, uh, which normally sees about 4,000 participants doing a 62-mile or an 84-mile route through what's billed as a very picturesque area. Last week, uh, just leading up to the event, a number of residents put up signs uh, warning that the event would be coming through and asking those who see ill-behaving cyclists to report such to local authorities. Well, it escalated a bit more during the event when someone sabotaged the event by laying tacks out in the road and about 15 cyclists suffered punctures. Now, thankfully, nobody was injured as a result of this sabotage and police did go house to house looking for witnesses. But what's what's really troubling is the fact that this is not the first time that an, a wiggle event has been disrupted in this way. Last year, the same event was similarly disrupted when pins were placed in the road. And another wiggle event last October was targeted when uh, presumably local residents pulled down signage and sprayed mud all over the road during the night to try to discourage cyclists from being in the event. Now, again, thankfully, nobody was injured in the event, but it, it kind of gives you an idea when you start hearing what some of the local residents had to say, the people who were critical of the event. A local counselor uh, and a member of the New Forest Commoners Association, Ann Sevier, was quoted as saying, it's a national park and we work very hard on safe safety aspects, bringing the speed limit down from 60 to 30 miles per hour, which means we get lots of people out cycling in the forest families, and tourists. But when the sportive comes through, they cycle as fast as possible along narrow single track roads. And there's a bit of a pack mentality, which is a problem as they seem to forget they're sharing the road with animals, horse riders, walkers, you name us, you name it. A bunch of cyclists came through the village of Brockenhurst last weekend and spooked a whole load of cattle, which were in the road, and they just carried chasing the cattle down the road towards a cattle grid. That could have easily resulted in a lot of broken legs. But I would never condone the behavior of the people who put nails down. I abhor that kind of behavior that is dangerous to both people and animals. We put up posters and encouraged anyone who had any trouble to report it through the appropriate channels." Unquote. Now, a number of other villagers were also quoted in an article I read, including this one who said, people cannot drive around the place because cyclists are cycling four abreast and no one can get around the area. So the bottom line here is exactly what we mentioned with Wisconsin and with a lot of other uh, uh, mass cycling events. It comes down to being good cycling citizens and cooperating with the local community. Uh, now, obviously, somebody went way too far uh, with uh, putting the tax in the road because clearly somebody could have been seriously injured. But I think it comes down to 
just a little bit of communication, a little bit of common sense on both sides. Many of you here in the United States participate in one of the, what I believe is 100 Bike MS events every year throughout the United States. And for those of you who do participate in Bike MS, as you know that I do, you may have heard that Topeak, the uh, bike accessories brand, was partnering with Bike MS to provide Bike MS's more than 110,000 participants throughout the United States with special prices on Topeak's Bike MS cycling accessory kit, which included a seat bag, tools, and a mini pump. Well, it sounded like a really great program that would bring some needed accessories to what admittedly in some cases are some novice cyclists who need to have uh, these items with them when they're out on the road uh, participating in a Bike MS event. Unfortunately, however, Topeak fell victim to the law of unintended consequences because when they announced the promotion and when they put the promotion together, they failed to include your local independent bike dealer or IBD. And as a result, Todson's president, Neil Todris, was left having to apologize to retailers and reverse course. Uh, quoted in Bicycle Retailer, Todris said, quote, we should have included the IBD network in this promotion. I regret that we didn't do so, and I'm sorry that we alienated a group that is so very important to us. Backpedaling on this, Todris told Bicycle Retailer that despite the IBD backlash, the program probably wasn't going to be as big as a lot of dealers expected, saying that Topeak expected that perhaps they would sell 100 of these special bike MS kits directly to consumers. As a result, Topeak wrote a letter to IBDs that reads as follows, Dear IBD community, we recently launched a promotion benefiting Bike MS. In doing so, we offered a special Bike MS logoed kit to those riders passionately dedicated to eradicating a terrible disease. To be clear, we were offering a limited run of these bags with just 100 units as part of the promotion. There was some unclear communication on this point, and we want to be clear about it so that all details are disclosed. This was a support rather than sales gesture. While our motives were good, we now recognize that our approach was wrong. By failing to include the IBD community directly, we made a mistake. I apologize for this. Our intent was not to go around the IBD, and to that end, we have stopped the direct-to-consumer promotion. Going forward, we will work more diligently with the IBD network to better understand how we can partner to promote cycling. I've reached out to some of you already and feel that there is a positive impact that we can make working collaboratively. An open dialogue can really help us improve on this as it creates the opportunity for mutual understanding. So a great idea, unintended consequences. If you heard about this, unfortunately, you will not be able to participate in the promotion. However, as an advocate for the cause of finding uh, the, the cause and cure of multiple sclerosis, I would say, you know, Topeak was really trying. They were trying to support the uh, MS advocacy community. And if you're looking for some accessories, I would say look there first. Topeak clearly was trying to do the right thing here. If you go to a local IBD and you buy your Topeak accessories from them, hopefully it will show your support for their support for a very important cause. Hey, before we move on, I want to thank another one of our show sponsors, and that is Fezari at F-E-Z-Z-A-R-I.com. I've gotten a lot of emails lately, I guess a lot of you are looking for new bikes, asking me why. 
Why Fizari? Why should I consider buying a bicycle from Fizari? Well, I, I've given you a lot of reasons, but let me sort of go over those again. Number one, Fizari is selling Consumer Direct. They design and build all of their own bikes, and they ship them directly to you from right here in Utah. That means that you're going to get a high-quality bike with great components, equal to or better than what you'd find on the show floor of your IBD. Sorry, IBDs but you're going to get it at a fraction of the price. Now, that may concern a lot of you, but Fazari has their 23-point custom setup. That means you supply them with your measurements, the bike shows up at your door, virtually ready to ride, adjusted to your specific measurements. They've done a great job when they've done this for me, when they did it for Mrs. Fredcast, and I found that, that it really was very close to a custom quality fitting. As far as quality, we're talking about great manufacturing processes, spectacular engineering, and some of the best uh, materials that you will find on a bicycle. Plus, because you're going to get this consumer direct, you probably will end up with one or maybe two component levels above what you might have thought your budget was. And that is phenomenal. Plus, don't forget their lifetime guarantee and what I like to call the spouse or partner guarantee. If you get your Fazari bicycle and for whatever reason you're unhappy with it within the first 30 days, return it to them and get your money backed. Now, a lot of you have asked me, hey, there's not a special link to tell Fazari that I heard about it on the Fredcast. No problem. Whether you buy online at their website at Fazari.com or whether you call them at 888-8-Fazari, let them know when you do that you heard about it on the Fredcast. They will know that their support of the show has paid off. And I know several of you in the last few weeks have purchased from them, and that is great. I hope you're enjoying your bikes. But for all of the rest of you, if you're considering a new bike, I hope that you will consider Fazari. That will support the Fredcast. And of course, we thank Fazari for their support of the show. It's at Fazari.com, F-E-Z-Z-A-R-I.com. Hey, I got a press, couple of press releases that I wanted to tell you about, uh, things that I think you will be interested in. First and foremost, those of you who are fans of Strava on Android or iOS will be pleased because just a short time ago, Strava announced the release of what they call a huge update, Strava 4.0. Strava's added a number of different new features, but first and foremost, they combined their running and cycling apps into one single app, which is helpful for a lot of you. I know a lot of you cross-train, you might do uh, triathlons. Now you've got one app in which you can track all of your Strava activities. Now they've also added support for 11 languages, including Dutch, Japanese, Korean, Russian, and traditional Chinese. On the social side, Strava has now added a new activity feed to show Instagram photos taken during exercise uh, and new one-touch buttons for Facebook, Path, and Twitter. If you're working out with other people, your activities are automatically grouped and maps of routes will also appear so you can see where your friends are working out, which is kind of cool. Now, all of those features are free for the non-premium subscribers to Strava. But if you're a premium subscriber, which means you're paying either $6 a month or $59 a year, you get some extra benefits. Audio data for a workout segment start, 
halfway point, and finish. Those are now included. And you also gain the ability to specify the equipment that you used in a workout. So a lot of new features in the new version of Strava. That's Strava 4.0. You can find it in the iTunes store. Uh, and of course, also on the, the, the Google Play store. I also received a press release from Cliff Bar. Cliff Bar and Company says they've released a new line of snack bars that include roasted nuts, chunks of organic dark chocolate, and fruits, including organic wild blueberries. These are called the Cliff Mojo Fruit and Nut and Cliff Mojo Dark Chocolate Bars. They're made with 70% organic ingredients. And for those of us who are following the paleo diet or perhaps you've got celiac disease or you're just trying to go gluten-free, these are gluten-free as well. According to Kevin Cleary, Chief Executive Officer of Cliff, quote, at Cliff Bar and Company, we aim to create quality organic food that people love to eat, nourishes their active lives, and is good for them and the planet. Our athletes and foodies join forces in the Cliff Kitchen to build a better snack bar by carefully selecting and combining high-quality ingredients that taste great and are nutritious. There's five flavors involved here. They're all 200 calories or less, low glycemic, and according to Cliff, a good source of fiber. Fiber. <laughs> five flavors are cranberry almond, wild blueberry almond, coconut almond peanut, dark chocolate almond, sea salt, and dark chocolate cherry almond. Check them out. You should be able to find them where, wherever quality energy bars are sold. And last but not least in our product press release roundup comes a new press release from Noon. That's N-U-U-N. Noon and Company says they've launched a new product. They're calling it Noon Energy. Now, if you've never used Noon before, these are the little tablets that come in the little tube, easy to put in your jersey pocket. You drop them in a water bottle. They effervesce and provide you with a great flavor in your water bottle, as well as the electrolytes that you need to power your ride. You've seen a lot of these from a lot of other companies as well. The new Noon tablets uh, balance hydration and energy by providing a blend of B vitamins, 40 milligrams of caffeine, and the same, according to Noon, optimal electrolyte blend as Noon's active hydration tablets. Noon Energy, this is the new brand, is an effervescent tablet that contains zero added sugars, less than 12 calories, and it's stored in the same portable container. Now, when they launch, Noon Energy will have three flavors, wild berry, lemon lime, and cherry limeade. According to Kevin Rutherford, president and CEO of Noon, quote, we've taken the popular formula of Noon Active Hydration and elevated it with essential B vitamins and moderate caffeine levels for sustained energy. Our consumers are very active in the energy boost offered and Noon Energy takes their athletic performance to the next level. Manufactured suggested retail price for a single tube at a specialty retail location would be $6.50 U.S. or $24 for a four-pack on Noon.com, N-U-U-N.com. And while we're on the subject of products, you know what's coming next. We have to talk about product recalls. First comes a recall from BMC, and this is a recall on their Stromer electric bicycles. It involves all 2013 Stromer ST1 women's and men's pedal assist electric bicycles. There's about 1,300 of those in the United States and 11 in Canada. Uh, these are the models M33 Elite and P48 Titanium. They were sold in three colors, black, red, 
and white. They have an integrated lithium battery in the down tube, a motor on the rear hub, and a three-button LCD system display on the handlebars. BMC's received one report of a fork breaking, resulting in minor scrapes and bruises to the rider. So if you've got a BMC Stromer electric bike, do yourself a favor, Check with Stromer, that's Stromer, S-T-R-O-M-E-R.ch, or call BMC USA at 800-819-4262 and get more information on their fork recall. Now, for those of you who may have one of these, these were sold through authorized Stromer dealers and uh, uh, nationwide and online from January 2012 to May 2013 for between $3,500 and $4,000. Please get this checked out. Get yours fixed right away. Next up, one more recall for you today, and this one is from Tektro and TRP. They're recalling uh, bike mechanical disc brake calibers because of a crash hazard. Now, the products involved here are the Spire and the Spire SLC dual piston mechanical disc brake calibers. The problem here is the brake cable actuator arm can over rotate, dislocating parts, causing the calipers to fail. And I love how the CPSC does this. A lack of brakes results in loss of control and a crash hazard posing a risk of injury to the rider and to others. Obviously, you should stop using these right away. There's about 2,000 of these involved in the recall. They were sold through retail bike shops nationwide and online at universalcycles.com, tektro-usa.com, and trpbrakes.com from April 2013 to December 2013 for about $90 for the Spire Caliper and about $110 for the Spire SLC Caliper. Obviously, what you should do is you should stop riding bikes equipped with these right away, return the calipers to the original place of purchase or TechTroUSA slash TRP for a free replacement with an improved version. And in both of these cases, I've got the links to the Consumer Product Safety Commission's website where you can get all the information you need. Please do this if you think you have one of these products right away. You know, I talk about product recalls on this show all the time. I have since the very beginnings, I think probably since episode number one of the Fredcast. And the one product recall of all of the dozens, perhaps hundreds that I've talked about here on the show in 212 some odd episodes, the one that's gotten the most attention that I've gotten the most feedback on is the SRAM hydraulic brake recall. A lot of people saying, when am I going to get my new brakes from SRAM? Because a lot of people, once they've ridden hydro, they don't want to go back. Well, uh, SRAM keeps posting uh, updates on the hydro recall on their website, SRAMRoadHydraulicBrakeRecall.com, SRAMRoadHydraulicBrakeRecall.com. And I thought that I'd pull some of the audio off of the latest two updates uh, from SRAM's president and throw it here on the show as a public service for those of you who keep asking, when am I getting my new brakes? So here's SRAM's president to tell you himself. My name is Stan Day, president of SRAM. I want to give you an update on our hydro hour recovery plan. As we said in the January update, we are planning to begin delivering our new model year 2015 product the second half of April. Cyclists who already own bikes are our first priority. Now that we have completed our analysis of the hydro failure mode, I want to report to you what happened and what is new for our model year 2015 version. 
there were two mechanical issues that enabled the brake to ingest air, lose pressure, and fail. In the extreme cold, the system seals stiffen and become less compliant, which is why we saw the problem multiply in December. The first mechanical issue was that the cylinder bore was not cylindrical. Our manufacturing process parameters did not adequately control the part fabrication. The result was that there was an oval shape to the bore that was beyond what the seal was capable of handling, especially in extreme cold when the seal lost some of its compliance. The second issue is that the system created excessive negative pressure in the brake fluid reservoir. When it is controlled, negative pr pressure does not affect the brakes. We were not under control. We were operating outside of the seal's capability to compensate, especially in the extreme cold conditions, and the result was air ingested into the system. These two issues, in combination with normal manufacturing tolerance variation, could also allow failure of the system in warm riding temperatures. That is why we ask everyone to stop using the brakes. With our new model year 2015 production, we have fixed both issues as well as completed a number of normal improvements for second year production. Specific feature enhancements include a completely new lever body design that improves ergonomics, reduces weight, ensures better sealing on all critical surfaces, and improves shifter cable routing. There is a new bleed port design with better sealing and an easier user interface. And there is a new caliper spring to optimize rollback and reduce lever travel. We also have changed our testing. All cold weather testing for the recalled brakes have been done in the field, and believe me, our test riders thought we spent enough time with frozen hands and feet to have adequately completed testing. For the new product, we've added a battery of laboratory tests and environmental chambers. We are endurance testing this, this design from minus 20 Celsius or minus 4 Fahrenheit all the way up to plus 46 Celsius or 115 Fahrenheit. I'm very pleased in personally talking to a number of users, as well as getting feedback through our websites and sponsored athletes, that there is virtually unanimous agreement that everyone wants to get back on hydraulic brakes. U.S. Cyclocross national champion Jeremy Powers said, the reduced hand effort and improved power of hydraulic brakes is considerable. It seriously makes a big difference when I'm racing. It's it just gives me more control, saves energy, and gives me confidence. I really do miss the disc brakes and seriously can't wait to get back and going on them. Can't put it any other way. L. Anderson said, the hydraulic brakes just give you more security, more braking power, and allow you to brake later, modulate into turns, and shed speed as late as possible. I'm back on hydros as soon as possible. Ryan Trebone said, there's no question that hydraulics provide more, better, more power and better modulation. I'm excited to get them back on my bike and have more control. Cyclists want to be back on hydro. We look forward to begin delivering these new systems to you the second half of April. We are confident that you'll be thrilled with their performance. On behalf of the 3,000 employees at SRAM, we appreciate your support through this problem and please be confident that we're doing everything we can to get you out riding just as soon as possible. Thank you. Now that was the March update. Here is the latest update in mid-April to provide more information on when you might be able to expect your replacement parts. 
On behalf of SRAM, I want to thank you for your patience through our road hydraulic brake recall. Throughout this process, not only have we improved and advanced a new road braking technology, but we've advanced our product development and testing processes and absolutely elevated our level of expertise. We've also learned what incredible customers we have and we want to get you back on your bike and enjoying the benefits of hydraulic braking. I want to update you on our status with respect to our new model year 2015 road hydraulic brakes. As promised, we'll be back in production in late April with the new version with both hydraulic disc and rim brake sets. The first shipments of our new brakes will go first to those individual consumers who are affected by the recall and who have requested to return to hydro, which is nearly 90% of you. After that, we'll fulfill orders for our dealers and bike company inventory. You should expect an update in the next few weeks from our product team highlighting the specific technologies, features, and benefits of the new brakes. Again, thank you for your patience, thank you for trusting us as a company, and thank you for working through this with us. So there you go, an update on the SRAM Hydro Recall directly from SRAM's president. I hope that answers a lot of the questions many of you have been asking me. I suppose besides product recalls, one of the topics I've probably talked about the most, at least over the last couple of years here on the Fredcast, is municipal bike share. You know, those things in like in New York and London and Paris where you can rent a bike for a short period of time. Well, a study recently appeared in the British Medical Journal, the study entitled Health Effects of the London Bicycle Sharing System, Health Impact Modeling Study. According to the, the researchers in this study, what they were looking at was whether or not bicycle sharing, like the one in London, has a positive or a negative health effect on its users. The results are staggering. They looked at 578,607 users of the London Cycle Hire Scheme aged 14 years and older, with an estimated 78% of travel time accounted for by users younger than 45 years. Over the, the year of their study, they examined users, uh, the, the users that they examined, pardon me, made 7.4 million trips by bike. Interestingly enough, 71% of those trips were by men. Now, according to the researchers, those trips in the absence of the bike share scheme would mostly otherwise have been made on foot, they figured 31%, or by public transit, 47%. What they found was that there was a, an increase in life expectancy and an improvement in the health of the participants. In men, for instance, there was a decrease in heart disease. And in women, although again, the sample was relatively small compared to the men, in women, they found a decrease in depression. Now, of course, they did have to factor into their study the fact that the participants would be exposed to air pollution, and that, of course, there was a risk of injury from road accidents. But when they put all of the benefits uh, and the disadvantages together, they did find that at the individual level, there were health benefits, albeit small, uh, perhaps probably because of the infrequent use of the bikes. They estimated a reduced death rate of between 3.3 and 10.9 deaths per million users per year. And while those results may be small, 
I think that it points to an important trend, and that is getting out of a car, getting out of public transport, and getting out and using at least some physical exertion during your day. And that, as a whole, is going to be good for people and good for society. And perhaps that's why, providing the perfect segue, which I love, perhaps that's why certain Boston doctors at Boston Medical Center are now participating in a program called Prescribe a Bike. Prescribe a Bike encourages low-income Bostonians to join Hubway, the city's bike share system, for a substantially discounted rate because their doctors believe that the health benefits are so great for those Bostonians. Now, Hubway normally costs $85 a year, but in the Prescribe a Bike program, participants would be able to join Hubway for just $5 a year. According to Boston Medical Center physician Dr. Alan Myers, quote, I hope we see our patients on bicycles riding to and from this hospital and around town, improving their health in the process. Continuing, it may be very hard for people to find a place to exercise. Neighborhoods may not be safe. So what we're hoping is that instead of perhaps riding the bus from point to point within the city of Boston, people will be able to get on a bike and ride from station to station. Now, this Prescribe a Bike program is a joint effort of the Boston Medical Center and the Boston Bikes program. According to Nicole Friedman, the director of Boston Bikes, quote, the people that were using bike share weren't necessarily representative of the city as a whole. And we said, look, we want to make a really concerted effort to get low-income residents on to bike share. Now, so far, according to Friedman, Hubway has sold about 900 of these Prescribe-A-Bike subsidized memberships and is hopeful that they will end up being a model not only for more Bostonians, but for more bike share systems nationwide, indeed worldwide, to get on board and find ways to get their lower income residents onto their bike share systems and enjoying the health benefits that we just heard about exist as a result of using bike share. And while I am a huge advocate for bike share systems worldwide, the one system that seems to get the most attention is one of the newest and perhaps one of the most controversial, and that is the city bike system in New York City. As you may have heard, because this wasn't just in the endemic media, this was all over general media as well, the city bike system has run into a number of difficulties, specifically financial difficulties as it's had to adjust to a number of factors, some of which were outside of its control and some within its control. Some of the events outside of its control, Superstorm Sandy, which damaged equipment of the system, other problems that they've had, software glitches, a very difficult 2013-2014 winter. Remember the polar vortex that we all had to deal with, especially those of you on the East Coast? But other problems uh, relate to the way that Alta Bicycle Share, the company that operates City Bike through its New York City subsidiary. People say that Alta Bike Share simply hasn't done enough to improve the system and to adapt to some of these problems as they've come along. One issue that, that has definitely arisen that Alta needs to deal with as quickly as it can is the issue of 
annual subscribers versus, say, tourist subscribers. Let me give you an example. I know that when I go to Washington, D.C., I see a lot of tourists using the D.C., the capital bike share system that exists in D.C., where you pay a rate to uh, participate in the system uh, on a daily basis. And then, of course, you pay if you use the bike for more than 30 minutes at a time. The same system exists in New York City. The problem is, while I see a lot of tourists using Capital Bike Share in D.C., I do not see, and the numbers don't support, tourists using uh, the city bike system in the city of New York quite as much. Meanwhile, there's at this point, I believe more than 100,000 people on the city bike system who are paying about $95 a year to be able to use bikes for 45 minutes at a time. Basically, the financial model on which city bike uh, is was founded was flawed because tourists aren't using it enough and the annual users are using it too much. Part of the problem is that uh, city bike and uh, all bike share systems also has to pay people to reposition bikes. So let's say, for instance, you're going to ride your bike from uh, a city bike station near Grand Central Station, and you're going to ride it over the Brooklyn Bridge into Brooklyn, and you're going to put it uh, uh, into a dock there. At a certain point, if enough people are doing that, then the dock outside of Grand Central Station would end up being empty. And somebody, therefore, needs to pick up bikes from Brooklyn and reposition a number of them back to fill that Grand Central Station dock. Does that make sense? Whether or not I've given you actual locations of docks or not, I think these are locations that many of you can relate to. So there's a lot of infrastructure and support that goes along with these systems. And apparently, what they're charging for the annual fees simply isn't enough to support the system. Now, these difficulties have been chronicled, as I said, all over the general press. The Wall Street Journal has been doing a really great job, perhaps because they're based in New York, in providing a lot of information uh, on these troubles. Now, as a result, uh, the manager of the bike share system, Justin Ginsburg, resigned last month, uh, possibly over the troubles that they've been having. There are lots of communications and discussions about whether or not public funds, in other words, whether or not the city of New York should use funds from the city's coffers to help prop up and support City Bike, or whether or not City Bike, it's, uh, pardon me, City Bank itself should come up with some additional funds. Other uh, solutions that have been discussed uh, include whether uh, the system should charge more for tourists. Again, tourists are currently charged $9.95 for 24 hours or $25 for weekly passes, or whether they should uh, increase the annual fees for New Yorkers from the current $95 to $140 a year. Now, this problem gets worse and worse as the day go, the days go on, because for instance, last weekend, when temperatures were really nice in New York, temperatures rose into the 70s in Manhattan last Sunday, 234 new annual members signed up in comparison to 169 the previous Sunday and 94 the Sunday before that. So they're going to have to come up with a solution to this issue relatively quickly. And you know what's happening. The critics in New York City of, uh, of City Bike are, of course, using this to their advantage to try to describe the program as a boondoggle and a waste of real estate and money. Uh, 
somehow I think that this problem will get solved. Uh, uh, there will be people on both sides who will not be pleased with the solution, but I don't think City Bike is going anywhere. I think in the end, City Bike will survive, prosper, and expand across the greater New York metro area. Well, let's move on to professional cycling news. An interesting missive out of UCI President Brian Cookson. Apparently, he's mulling over the idea of installing cameras on racers' bicycles during UCI World Tour events in order to bring fans closer to, quote, their heroes, unquote. Now, the Belgian broadcaster Sporza experimented with dashboard cams in team vehicles at the recent Ghent-Wavelgem race and also at the Ron von Vlander and the Tour of Flanders this year. Apparently, it was very well received because a lot of folks felt that it helped capture the emotions of the sports directors and the team officials during the races. And then, of course, they could hear firsthand a lot of uh, the communication that takes place in the cars and also between the cars and the racers. Now, Brian Cookson is thinking about whether or not he wants to put cameras on bikes, uh, perhaps even looking up at a rider's face during a race. Now, I'm not a big NASCAR fan, uh, but I do know that one of the things that I think uh, has really brought people to feeling much closer uh, uh, and, and getting a more intimate view of the racing in NASCAR uh, is the ability to uh, listen to the radio feeds uh, of uh, between the pit crews and their fam favorite racers, and also being able to see the views inside the cars, behind the cars, in front of the cars as they race. And I think that that's exactly what Cookson is talking about. In a statement from the UCI, he was quoted as saying, quote, we need to embrace innovation and sell our sport. How do you progress and embrace innovation in order to make the spectator and viewer feel even more engaged? We will look at technology such as cameras on bikes and in team cars to see how they can be used to enhance the viewer experience. Imagine being able to share the view of Chris Froome as he rode up Mont Ventoux or came up the Champs-Élysées to win last summer's Tour de France. And why stop at cameras? What about having microphones on bikes or sharing rider data on screen? Unquote. Now, this may sound hokey, corny, whatever word you want to use, but I'm going to tell you... As you know, I've had the good fortune of being able to ride within the caravan uh, at races, whether it's the Tour of Utah, the Amgen Tour of California. And I'm telling you right now, there is no better way to view a cycling event than by being immersed in the event itself, being there as the peloton passes, or being able to bridge the gap between a break and the Peloton, or being able to go out in front of the break and watch these guys work. I think that an innovation like this would make cycling coverage that much more exciting and, maybe even more importantly, could bring some new spectators, some new fans into our sport, and that would be a great thing. So I have to applaud Brian Cookson for this. I think it's a great idea. If you disagree, let me know. Well, I don't know about you, but I can't believe it's already the getting towards the end of April, and there's been a lot of great road cycling events that have gone by. Uh, wow, Perry Roubaix 
I mean, just some of our favorite events of the spring are now behind us. And as a result, I've got the latest UCI World Tour rankings as of April 20th, 2014. Leading the rankings this year from Team Tinkoff Saxo, Alberto Contador, followed by Fabian Consolara. And in third place, the winner of this year's Paris-Roubaix, Nikki Terpstra, followed by Sepp Van Marka, Peter Sagan, who, wow, what a great year he's having so far. It's going to be an exciting year of racing. Next, in sixth place, John Degenkolb, Simon Gerens, Alexander Kristoff, Alexander Quintana Rojas Nairo from Movistar, and Christophe Perraud from AG2R Le Mondial in 10th place. Speaking of great events, we've got some amazing events coming up in the next few weeks, starting with later this week on April the 23rd, La Flèche Wallonne, the Walloon Arrow. Uh, next, on April the 27th, Liège Bastogne Liège. And then April 29th through May the 5th in Switzerland, the Tour de Romandie. And then May the 9th through June the 1st, the first of the three grand tours of the year, the Giro d'Italia kicks off on May the 9th. You all recall that last year in 2013, Chris Horner became uh, the oldest Grand Tour champion by winning the Vuelta a España at the age of 41. Well, a few weeks ago, the Vuelta champion Chris Horner was hospitalized with a punctured lung, four broken ribs, and cuts on his head that uh, required stitches, although thankfully no concussion. Uh, Chris Horner was released recently from a hospital in Northern Italy following that training accident. Uh, he was quoted as saying, I was lucky. The crash could have had worse consequences. I still feel pain when I move. I know I must be patient. I hope I can soon pedal on the roller. So we wish Chris Horner a speedy recovery, and we hope that we see him back on his bike again real soon. Over the last couple of episodes, I've told you about a number of notable professional cycling events that have added women's events to their calendars. Now, one event that has had this for a number of years is the Amgen Tour of California. Well, the Tour of California recently announced that instead of just having one day of women's racing, they're going to expand the event in 2014 to include two elite women's events this coming May. As a matter of fact, the Amgen Tour of California is now coming up in less than three weeks. There will be a circuit race and a time trial. On May 11th, the women's circuit race will take place in Sacramento, coinciding with stage one of the men's race. And that will take place on a one and a quarter mile, four corner course near the Capitol building. And just one day later, the women will compete in an invitational individual time trial in Folsom, California. According to SRAM's Alex Wassman, quote, as a founding sponsor of the Amgen Tour of California Women's Time Trial, we're proud to again join with AEG in showcasing some of cycle sports' fastest and most celebrated athletes on the roads of California. Now, AEG Sports Senior Vice President Kristen Bachochin, I hope I said that correctly, said, quote, Through the years, AEG has been proud to provide a worldwide platform to the top women's cyclists in the world. We've staged a women's criterium from 20, 2008 to 2010 and a time trial since 2011. This year, we're thrilled to announce not one but two days of professional women's racing with the inclusion of a circuit race and a time trial. 
more opportunity for the stars of the sport to shine, and more reason for cycling fans to come out or tune in to follow the best racing event on U.S. soil, unquote. Now, for those of you who are interested, the Amgen Tour of California will take place May 11th through May 18th, beginning in Sacramento and finishing in Southern California's Thousand Oaks. Well, I don't know how many of you remember the, well, movie, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, uh, or how many of you are big eBay fans, but if you are not a big follower of eBay, then you just may have missed the auction on the bike that was once described as the best bike in the whole world. That's right, the best bike in the whole world. Pee-wee Herman's bike from the movie Pee-wee's Big Adventure was recently sold on eBay. Now, the eBay auction description said everything is there, but that it would be sold in pieces. The seller noting that that's because he had it sold previously and was getting ready to to ship it away and therefore uh, put it in pieces before that sale uh, eventually went south. Now, the seller originally purchased it in 2010 for about $10,000 and netted a nice profit on it, selling it just a few weeks ago on eBay for And last but not least, I want to point you to a YouTube video. And yes, of course, there are links in the show notes. This is this is perhaps one of the most incredible, unlikely videos and luckiest people you've ever seen in your entire life. The video is from a closed circuit TV camera in Brazil. Now, at first, it just looks like a, a car park with a road running past it. And the next thing you see briefly is somebody on their bike. When a pickup truck goes roaring by, knocking the cyclist off of his bike. And this is where you expect things are going to go wrong. But for this one individual who better go back to church and keep praying because he's doing something right, for this one lucky individual, the moment, the instance he gets knocked off his bike, a mattress also flies off the truck landing beneath the cyclist a split second before he hits the pavement, cushioning his fall and allowing him to escape what appears to be relatively unscathed. It's the most incredible, unlikely video you've ever seen. I strongly suggest you check it out. What a lucky guy. But I'm imagining at this point, the guy in the pickup truck's probably wondering, hey, what happened to my mattress? Hey, before we get to this week's features, I want to tell you about lynda.com, another sponsor here on the Fredcast. Simply by going to lynda, L-Y-N-D-A, dot com slash Fredcast, you can get a seven-day free trial of lynda.com. So what is lynda.com? Well, lynda.com has been described as the source for knowledge on the internet. Now, here's the deal. Think about something, something you want to learn chances are you're going to find that topic on lynda.com. Whether it's digital video, business skills, photography, programming, you name it, you can find it on lynda.com because they're the online learning company that can help anyone learn 
creative software, and business skills to help you achieve your personal and professional goals. If you subscribe to lynda.com, you will get unlimited access to a huge library of engaging tutorials across a wide variety of subjects taught by experts in their field. And not just experts, just really great educators who know a lot about what you want to learn. Now, right now there's more than 2,000 courses and they're adding more all the time. The instructors, they're people who work within their fields and they're at the top level of their fields. And in a lot of cases, they are, as I said, professional instructors. Plus you get high quality video production. And th this isn't like, you know, when you go to YouTube and you get the, you, you click I want to learn about something and you click the video and it's, hi oh, guys, let me tell you. No, these are professional instructors and you can literally go from, let's say you, you dive into a topic and there's one particular segment that you want to learn about. The outline is right there. Click on that segment and boom, you're learning about that one little item that you want to learn about because they have searchable transcripts and these searchable transcripts allow you to search within the videos to find exactly what it is you want to learn. Now, you can watch on your computer. You can watch on your mobile device. Matter of fact, you can start on one and then pick up right where you left off on the other. I have used lynda.com uh, for a variety of different software products that I wanted to learn, and it has been, and I don't you throw this word around, in dispensable. Now, lynda.com is just $25 per month for the basic plan or for $37.50 a month, you get the premium plan, which gives you access to the exact same files your instructor's working on so that you can work right along with them. Uh, so you actually learn even faster. But remember, I've got a special deal for Fredcast listeners with lynda.com. Just go to lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash Fredcast, and they're going to give you as a Fredcast listener a free seven-day trial of lynda.com so that you can see, just like I did, that lynda.com is an invaluable resource you will use again and again. That's more than 2,000 courses for free for seven days. So go check it out, lynda.com slash Fredcast. We thank them for their support of the show, and we thank you for your support of lynda.com. Hey, I talk on the show all the time about how I get letters and emails from you, not letters, but I get emails from you guys all the time and voicemails asking me lots of questions. And this is a question that I believe I've answered on the show before, well, I know I have, but I want to bring it up again because we are in the thick of cycling season. Uh, listener Dan sent me the following email. He says, I've been listening to the Fredcast and the Spokesman for the past couple of years, and I have enjoyed both shows. I've heard you mention several times on these shows that you, quote, fire up the VPN to watch video coverage of professional cycling races. Can you tell me where I can go to find out when there will be coverage and where I would connect to watch these races? I would especially like to get full coverage of the Tour de France and the other Grand Tours. I would need to have the coverage in English since I don't speak anything else. Is there some place where I can get that kind of coverage? Is there somewhere that I can go to get the video after the races are over since I often wouldn't be able to watch live? I'd like to be able to see something more than highlights if possible. I have to watch some highlights on YouTube, but I would like to be able to get more than that. Now, this is interesting because this next part very common for a lot of you, I know. I should also say, I don't have cable or satellite TV, so I don't have an account that I can use to log into any system like NBC required to get coverage of the Olympics. Does that make any difference in where I can go to watch coverage of professional races? Thanks for your help. Thanks for the podcasts. Please keep putting them out 
as I very much enjoy them. Well, thanks, Dan. I enjoy doing them, even though, unfortunately, as you know, I don't do them as much as I would like. Listen, this is a a, a really um, common question that I get all the time. So first of all, uh, real briefly, I'll talk about uh, VPNs, and then we'll talk a little bit about where you can find uh, cycling coverage online. Okay, I don't think that's too basic for me to say that every time you connect your computer or mobile device to the internet, you get assigned an IP address. And your IP address, in many cases, most cases, will give away your basic geographic location. Uh, So for instance, you could uh, connect here in Park City, Utah, and somebody who knew your IP address could decipher it to figure out the general location in which your computer is located. Now, this becomes a problem when you want to watch video that's where the content is what's known as geo-restricted. Here's a good example. If you wanted to go to the BBC website and use their BBC One player to watch original content from the British Broadcasting Corporation, unless you're physically located in the UK and your IP address says so, the BBC will block you. Similarly, if you are a Hulu user or a Netflix user and you travel to Europe and you want to watch Hulu or Netflix, your IP address there will say to Hulu and Netflix that you're located in Europe and you will similarly be blocked from using those services. Now, in a lot of cases, the content that you're looking for when you want to watch international cycling events is similarly geo-restricted. So for instance, your example, Dan, of the Tour de France. You want to watch the Tour de France. If you want to watch uh, coverage from the French networks, for instance, their coverage is geo-restricted only to IP addresses in France. Maybe you want to watch on Eurosport, which is in English. The problem there is that it's geo-restricted. So that, for instance, if you're in the United States and you logged onto the Eurosport website, sorry, you won't be able to watch. Other networks as well do the exact same thing. And so it's important to figure out a way where your IP address looks like you've hopped from the United States to the country whose coverage you want to watch. And this is where a VPN can come in handy. You see, a VPN, again, don't send me a bazillion emails because I'm oversimplifying here, folks. I'm doing it on purpose. A virtual private network is like a private tunnel, a point-to-point connection between your computer and a remote server. So businesses use VPNs all the time. Uh, They'll have salespeople uh, who are out in the field traveling, but they need to be able to make a secure connection as if they were physically connected to an ethernet cable in their office with their laptop, even though they're in a Starbucks 3,000 miles away. They use a VPN connection to make that point-to-point tunnel, if you will, between your location and the actual server in the office. Similarly, commercial VPN solutions do the same thing. So when I say that I'm firing up my VPN, I'm using a commercial commercial, uh, virtual private network service. And for instance, if I want to watch something from England, I tell my VPN software to choose a server in England. And then anyone who sees my IP address, it appears to them as if I'm online in London or Manchester or Birmingham. 
Similarly, if I want to watch something, for instance, I want to watch live coverage from the Tour de France, and I want to watch, I don't care about the French uh, uh, commentary, I just want to watch the cycling. I can log in as if I'm in Paris, and I can go onto one of the French TV network's websites, and I can be watching live, just as if I was sitting in a cafe in Paris using local Parisian Wi-Fi. Now, as I've said when I've covered this topic before, um, there's a bit of a legal, ethical, gray area that occurs here. I'm not going to belabor the point, but I'll give you another example from England. Let's say you wanted to watch the premiere of a BBC program, Downton Abbey or Sherlock, and you don't want to wait for it to premiere here in the United States. You want to watch it when it's live, when it first premieres in England. Using a VPN, tunneling through into London, firing up the BBC website, uh, you could use the BBC player, the iPlayer, but it will warn you and it will tell you if you haven't paid your TV license, which is a form, for those of you who don't know, a form of a tax in the UK for uh, every television in your household. If you haven't paid your TV tax or your TV license, then you shouldn't be using the BBC's website because the BBC's website and BBC productions are supported by television licenses in the UK. Similarly, Italian networks, uh, different ways of supporting them, but again, there is that uh, gray area. So Italian networks, French networks, Belgian networks, etc. So keep that in mind uh, when you're deciding whether or not this is something you want to do. Now, of course, there are other benefits to using a VPN for me. I am that guy who's traveling a lot for business, and I am using a lot of public Wi-Fi, whether it's in a coffee shop or a hotel or wherever it is. And I use a VPN to increase my security online uh, because uh, my traffic is encrypted between uh, my connection and my VPN's server connection so that anybody who's uh, hanging out in that Starbucks isn't able to use a, a packet sniffing program to sniff out whether it's credit card numbers or passwords or what have you. So that's another benefit to using a VPN. Okay, but enough tech talk on VPNs. There's a lot of other uh, aspects to it and a lot of other reasons why you might use it. But for our purposes, we're simply looking at using a VPN to change or geo-shift our computer's location to get around geographical restrictions in coverage. Now, there are a number of different VPN providers out there. I've talked to a lot of folks who use a service called Ola. Uh, that's H-O-L-A. Ola is at ola.org. And Ola is a freeway. Uh, it's a bit of a proxy uh, in order to, again, geo-shift your IP address so that you can watch coverage from other countries. Uh, in the past, I've used a service called Ytopia. It's, uh, I was using uh, the free version at one time, then I used the paid version because I was using it so often, and there were a lot of features that I liked. Today, I'm using one. I hate the name, but I love the service. It's called HideMyAss.com. Uh, they've, they've got servers all over the world, and I have found it to be very reliable and very useful. So for instance, if I'm in Europe and I want to watch uh, something here in the United States, Netflix or what have you, boom, no problem. Uh, similarly, if I'm here and I want to watch something in Australia, I just geo-shift to Australia uh, or the or UK or wherever it is that I want to watch. So the first thing you need is one of these providers. There's three. And of course, I've got links in the show notes to all three. The next thing you want to figure out is when will coverage be on 
and where can I find it? Well, first of all, we talk here on the show every week, every time I do the show, I tell you when cycling events are coming up. So you have a general idea of the dates, but of course there are time differences. So you'll want to check that out as well. And then what you want to do is figure out where you can find these programs online. I found two great guides that are really well kept up, very well maintained, uh, and very current. The first is steephill.tv, and the next is cyclingfans.com. And they will tell you when a race is coming up and all of the different places where you can find coverage. Now, for instance, a lot of the events that have taken place in the last few weeks have been uh, uh, in Europe and the uh, local countries, be it uh, Belgium or France or the Netherlands, will have coverage in their home countries live. So while you won't be able to listen uh, to English-speaking coverage, uh, you will be able to see the live events right there on your computer. And many of them will also have replays available later on in the day. So when you're looking for those replays, a lot of times you can find the full replays right there. Some events you can also find on a commercial service that you can subscribe to and you don't even need any of this VPN or proxy stuff. It's called cycling.tv. They've been around for a long time. They don't have every event, but it's a good place to check because there you can not only watch live, but you can also see recorded events as well. It's a great resource for you. Now, once you've gone to steephill.tv or cyclingfans.com, and maybe you've exhausted your options there, you can also look at a number of networks that are frequently showing live coverage. Uh, Eurosport in the UK, SBS in Australia, Sky TV in the UK, in Belgium, Sporza, uh, in Italy, Rai Sport, in the UK, also ITV4. And during the Tour de France, uh, obviously, which is something that you asked about, the French networks will also be showing live coverage. As a matter of fact, a lot of the European countries have their own live coverage in their own languages. Uh, so if you don't mind watching in French or German or Italian, it's a great resource that you can use. And a lot of times, if you go to the Tour de France website or the, the upcoming Giro d'Italia's website, you'll be able to find links to uh, that coverage, even though it says that it's geo-restricted, use one of these VPNs and boom, you are right there. But again, I'm just going to say this one more time. It's up to you whether or not you're interested in, in uh, circumventing these geographical restrictions. They are in place for a reason, uh, whether you think it's a good reason or a bad reason, I leave that up to you. So check all of those resources uh, try cycling.tv, try one of the VPNs, and of course, always check the sites for the individual races themselves. I've always got links in the show notes to uh, ones that are uh, upwards of a month uh, in the future. So use those links, use those resources, and Dan, I hope that uh, the last few minutes have provided you with the information that you need so that you, as a cord cutter, and I salute you for being a cord cutter, by the way, so that you as a cord cutter can still watch cycling events live and recorded as well. I hope that was helpful for you, Dan, and for the rest of you as well. Next up, I've got a couple of product reviews for you, starting with a new product from Camelback. And before you switch away and, and, and skip this segment, let me tell you, this is neither a water bottle for your bike nor a hydration pack. And frankly, when they first told me about it, I was kind of skeptical of the product, but now having used it for about a month, I am totally Hooked. This new product from Camelback is called the Camelback Relay Water Filtration. 
pitcher. Now, where I live here in Park City, the water that comes into our house is from well water. And sometimes well water doesn't smell that good. And sometimes, quite frankly, it doesn't taste that good either. And whether I just want to have a drink of water out of my refrigerator or fill up my water bottles for a ride, the Camelback Relay has proven to be a great solution to that problem. Here's what the Camelback Relay is. It is a, uh, a pitcher uh, that goes into, well, I mean, I keep it in my fridge. You, you don't have to. Uh, but it is a pitcher that... Uh, uh, contains about 10 cups of water. And what is really unique about this pitcher is the filtration system, the double double filter technology the Camelback has fitted into the lid of the pitcher. Uh, The lid, which on my pitcher never really comes off, has two openings. On one side, there's the filling opening toward the handle of the pitcher. And the other side, of course, there's the spout. And each of these openings have their own filter. So the water gets filtered going in to the pitcher, and it also gets filtered going out. Now, I've tried other filtration pitchers in the past, considering the well water here at home. But what I found is a lot of them are really slow to fill and really slow to pour. The Camelback Relay is really cool because it's really fast, almost as fast as my kitchen faucet can release water into the pitcher. It gets filtered and fills the pitcher itself. And then also as I pour, it gets filtered as fast as I would need or expect. It really is great. According to Camelback, it's filtering 10 times faster than the leading competitor. Now, here's the thing. This is not a water purification filter. This is to filter out uh, things like chlorine, bad taste, bad odor, exactly the issues that I have here. And you may have in your own municipality, even though your water isn't coming from a well like mine is. And trust me, I travel enough. I've tasted a lot of the bad water in your cities, and I wish that I had one of these when I traveled for business. Camelback says that their filters will last up to four months. They say that that's twice as long as their leading competitor. I have no idea uh, because I've never kept a leading competitor as long as so far I've kept the Camelback Relay. As I said, it holds 10 cups of water. It's actually a really nice design. It, it, It fits right in the refrigerator door. I don't even have to take up room elsewhere in the refrigerator, so it's got a great design. It is BPA free. I'm sure that was one of the things that you were wondering, and it is dishwasher safe. Uh, the uh, According to the packaging, one filter that lasts up to four months would save up to 600 plastic bottles. So if you're interested in uh, living a more sustainable life, there's a great extra reason to consider the Camelback Relay. The manufacturer suggested retail on this product, $36.99 US. It is available now at places like Target, and camelback.com. I have put a link in the show notes for where you can find it on amazon.com. This has become a part of my family's life, something that I expect to have in my fridge for a long time. Definitely a recommended product from Fredcast and Fred's family. One more product to bring to you today. And this one, not so much a product review as it is a product update. Several months ago, I did a review of the LifeProof iPhone 5 case. It was the uh, LifeProof free case. And I gave it 
well, not the most positive review. I had issues, uh, a couple of issues. Uh, I, I felt that for some reason, it was giving me fits when it came to the noise canceling technology on the iPhone 5. Uh, I had issues with uh, it recognizing uh, the proximity sensor, recognizing that it was up to my face and turning the screen off. I had issues, well, I took issue with the port cover for the headphone jack and the fact that it would be relatively easy to lose that port cover. But most importantly, the problem that I had with it was the screen protector that was part of the LifeProof case. I found restricted uh, my ability to operate the touchscreen uh, as accurately and as well as I would like. Well, LifeProof took notice and they sent me one of their nude cases for my new iPhone 5S. Now, also in that review, I, I told you I'm a little concerned about how they're going to deal with the iPhone 5S and the Touch ID fingerprint sensor on the home button. Well, I'm really pleased to say that I've been using the nude for iPhone 5S from LifeProof, wow, for probably a month and a half, two months now, and I'm very, very pleased with it. They solved a lot of the issues. I've had no issues with the proximity sensor. I've had no issues or complaints with the noise canceling technology. Uh, as far as the uh, screw-in port protector for the headphone jack, well, they fixed that too because now there's a little tether that retains it so that when you unscrew it, instead of it falling off, it's connected continues to be connected to the case itself. Ingenious, a very simple way of fixing that problem. Now, the difference between the nude and the free, which is probably the main reason why I like this so much, the nude does not have the screen protector. As a matter of fact, you touch the screen directly, and yet this LifeProof case is still shockproof, snowproof, dirtproof, and yes, waterproof. There's a seal, a gasket that goes all the way around the screen, protecting it from water getting in. And since it's a piece of glass on the screen, even if water gets on there, it's not going to damage the device. Ingenious. And it works extremely well. I've used this thing in the rain, never worried about it. And quite frankly, you know, that, that's really the most important thing. And even for those of you who have dropped it in, oh, I don't know, a sink or a bathtub or worse, you would as I drop mine, you would still be protected uh, with the nude case. And as far as the iPhone 5S and the Touch ID technology, I don't know how they've done it, but it is still operable with the nude case. Now, I will say I went through some additional fingerprint training. Uh, there are some tips out there on the internet that tell you how to sort of overtrain your sensor, and I did that, and it works just great. Now, just like Touch ID, you've heard from a lot of people say if your hands are wet or over, you know, if they're really wet or you've, you've just come out of a pool or you've got dirt on them, sometimes it doesn't recognize your fingerprint, but that's no different with this, uh, with the case, than it is without. The only problem that I have found, and quite frankly, I think this is an Apple problem more than a life-proof problem. In iOS 7, Apple introduced the control center, which you drag up from the bottom of the screen and allows you to do things like control your audio controls, turn on and off the flashlight, turn on and off airplane mode or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or anything like that. Now, the way that everybody tells you to, to, to activate that, the easiest way is to swipe up from beyond below the screen 
up onto the screen and then it turns on. The problem with the LifeProof nude case for iPhone 5S is that you can't get below the screen in order to swipe up. When my phone is on, it's it takes me five or 10 tries to swipe up to get the control center to come up. But what's interesting is if it's off and I turn it on using either the home button or the power button at the top without activating touch ID, I'm then able to swipe up every single time on the first swipe. So it seems to me that this is more of a problem that Apple needs to fix than one that is caused by the LifeProof case. Now, I've seen lots of Mac columnists and iPhone columnists talk about this problem even without the LifeProof case, but you just need to know that the problem can and does exist when you're using the LifeProof case. But otherwise, man, they heard everything that I said, and I'm very, very pleased with how well this is working, and I really like uh, how protected it is, uh, whether I'm out on a, a road ride, a mountain ride, uh, or even whether I'm just in an industrial environment. Uh, on my day job, I just feel more protected with it on the case. So I really like it. It's staying on my phone. Now, LifeProof also just sent me their nude case for the iPad Air. I literally just in the last couple of days put it on my iPad Air. It does add some heft. It makes that really sleek, beautiful design just a bit bigger and, and heavier. But again, I use this in an industrial environment all the time, so I like the extra protection that I've got from dirt, uh, from, from dropping, and of course from water. So hopefully it'll work just as well as the LifeProof nude case for iPhone 5S. As always, I've got links in the show notes to where you can find more information. I'm glad they sent this to me because it gave me the opportunity to update you again on the improvements that they've made with the nude case, and that's two U's with umlauts over them for the iPhone 5S from LifeProof. Okay, I fibbed a little bit. One more product that I want to tell you about. I kind of told you about it at the top of the show, but I just want to spend a little bit more time. We have finally released the 2014 edition of the Team Fredcast kit. This is the first time we've got complete kit available for you to purchase. The new, I'm so proud of this design, the new Team Fredcast jersey, either short-sleeved or sleeveless, the new Team Fredcast shorts, either with or without bibs, and the new Team Fredcast Sock Guy socks. They are all available for you to purchase right now at www.thefredcast.com slash store. They're all, all available at pre-sale pricing right now, but that won't last very much longer. So make sure you get going right now and go to thefredcast.com slash store to buy your new socks, shorts, and or jerseys. I'm really, really proud of this design. I hope that you guys like it as much as I do. I just, I, I really think we did a great job on designing these, and I hope that you will like them as well. By the way, I do need to say uh, a big thank you to the jersey sponsors as well, our kit sponsors. Of course, our jerseys are coming to you from Black Bottoms. We've been using them for a while. We think they're great. Another great Utah company. I think you'll really like them. The other sponsors on the jersey, I put Bike MS on there because it's important to me and I want that scene. Uh, but the other sponsors, EpicPlanet.tv, Jensen USA, Fizari, Laser, and TrainerRoad.com. Thanks to them for their support of the jerseys. Please go check it out before the pre-sale pricing is gone. 
It's at www.thefredcast.com slash store. I really think you're going to like it. I hope you do. Order now before the pre-sale pricing is over. Thanks a lot. Hey, and I also need to thank our show sponsors this week. As always, such great sponsors on the show, and you guys are so great to support all of them. Really appreciate it. Of course, Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash thefredcast. You can get great, a great selection of products at phenomenal prices. And don't forget their unparalleled customer service and their $4 million bike clearance. Go check them out right now. Also want to thank lynda.com at lynda.com slash fredcast. Sign up now. They're giving Fredcast listeners seven days of free unlimited access at lynda.com slash fredcast. And of course, our friends just down the road at Fazari Bicycles. Custom, quality, direct, that's what you get at Fazari. Go to Fazari.com. That's F-E-Z-Z-A-R-I.com. Thanks to all of our sponsors for their support. Thank you for your PayPal donations. And of course, go to thefredcast.com slash store and get your kit today. Hey, if you want to keep in contact with what's going on here at the Fredcast, probably the two best ways these days are both Facebook and Twitter. Uh, the Twitter handle is simply Fredcast. And if you go to Facebook, it's facebook.com slash the Fredcast in order to subscribe or like our Facebook page. Of course, you can always go to our website at www.thefredcast.com or shoot an email over to thefredcast at gmail.com. Want to send us an audio file? Go ahead and send it in an email, or you can use our speak pipe functionality, which you will find on the right-hand side of every page at www.thefredcast.com. There's a little link there that says send a voice message, or you can use the Fredcast listener hotline at area code 661-513-FRED. That's 661-513-3733. And with that, there's only one thing left to do, and you know that what that is. It's to bring you this week's Podsafe Cycling Music, which was chosen specifically for the Fredcast by IndoorCyclingMusic.com. They're the home of the free weekly featured track and premium members content of weekly 30 and 60-minute cardio mixes and 90-minute monthly cardio mixes to get the world moving. Find out more at www.IndoorCyclingMusic.com. Dot com. This week's artist is John Mayall and the Blues Breakers singing a song that we're all familiar with. Well, at least by description only. It's called Road Dogs. Hey, thanks so much for staying subscribed to the Fredcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling your friends about the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. I love doing this for you. I wish I was doing it more often. I'll do my best, folks. But in the meantime, this is an almost hour and 45 minute show. Come on. Not bad content for free, right? Listen, I will be back as soon as I can with another episode of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast, but between this show and the next, enjoy the music, but most of all, enjoy the ride.
such a tough life, it maybe could be so. But if you're looking for a recipe for road jumps, the blues breakers know, because we are the road dogs. Destination everywhere. Smooth as a groove with the traveling blues, heading for the county fair. Of the rock stars, we get sick of that stuff. Too many roadies and fancy private airplanes, never ever good enough. Take a lesson from the road dogs, keep it simple every day. A well on machine, we try to keep it lean. We got a lot of blues to play. Traveling blues, we got a lot of. 